And welcome back to the Ford Taylor Talks podcast. I'm Pat Williams with... This is Ford Taylor. Good morning, PW. What's happening, Ford? Well, things are going fast and furious and strong, uh, but things are good. You know, it's funny. We um, have events in our lives, and I'm 54 as of a couple weeks ago, and you know, you look back on your life, but you know, my baby's getting married this weekend. Yeah. What an event. Yeah. I can't wait. Looking forward to being there with you and, and with her and celebrating, celebrating with your family. So obviously you probably already have surmised that I think this episode would be a great opportunity for us to talk about the tools that we teach and we model within the transformational leadership platform. Uh, how, how do those apply to marriage? What, which of those tools are best suited? I and mean, the answer is all of them, right? The answer, there's, there's really nothing you've taught in transformational leadership that couldn't be applied to this beautiful partnership we call marriage. Yeah, PW, I, I'm sure you've heard me share this. As I share it again, you'll think about it and go, you know, I have heard you say that. You know, when I applied these tools in our company, you know the exponential growth and profitability that happened. But I did not apply them in my marriage. And because of that, I had some big failures. And, and when I learned that these tools worked there too, and, and they're not just tools, they weren't just manipulation. But what I found out is if I'm the same person at home as I am at work, as I am at church, as I am driving my car, as I am doing emails, that, that they don't become tools. They become a part of who we be. And all of a sudden, when we're that kind of leader across all those different spheres, our stress level goes way down. So what are some of those tools? Before we do that, let me, let me share a story about when my daughter got married. Okay, A friend of mine who we attended their, both of their children's weddings, dear friends, uh, he sent me this text. He said, Ford, next weekend, when you walk Whitney down the aisle, be sure that there's a bottle of water at your ch- chair when you sit down. You're going to need it. And, and I texted him back. I said, well, I said, you may not know this, but I'm actually performing the wedding myself. And he texted back. He said, then have a gallon of water ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it, it is a very, uh, it's, a, it, it's hard to describe. You know, remember when you had your first child and, and they come out of the womb and you just can't describe what just happened to your life. Right. It's changed forever. There, there's something, there's a love that you feel that's hard to describe. It's not exactly like that, but there's something about walking your daughter down the aisle where you are at some level cutting that cord, but at the same time, she's always your daughter. But you're basically letting another man take your place as the number one person in her life. Uh, but it's a special walk. Uh, it's a special day. So I'm looking so forward to sharing it with you and with Rachel and, and the family. That's awesome. So, Ford, uh, as you know, uh, I've had the, <laughs> I was getting ready to say the pleasure, the honor, <laughs> but the kids have been living with us. They bought a house. They're in between uh, careers. They're in between jobs. And they've been living with us for going on four weeks. 
and you get to know someone <laughs> if you live with them for four weeks. And I feel like this would be a really great opportunity to talk about marriage and to talk about that uh, that union between uh, husband and wife. And the first subject matter is how we respond to each other and the art of listening. And I know you're a pro at it. I've watched you do it. I've watched you hold your tongue in all kinds of circumstances. But I really want to focus this podcast on husband and wives. And um, like I said, this podcast is about helping people. If we can help someone in their marriage yeah. just a little bit, man, what impact would that have on their life in general? Yeah. And so I would, I would recommend anybody who's listening, if you're married, we're going to go through a handful of these tools and talk about, at least for me, what was life-changing in my marriage, how we went from a good marriage to a bad marriage to a great marriage, and, and some of the things that caused that to happen. If you're not married and you want to be married one day, you might still want to keep listening. If you've been married and you're not married anymore and you think one day you want to be married again, you might keep listening. You might discover why you're not married anymore. I mean, I'm not talking about through death, of course, but but through divorce. And so one of the top things is absolutely communication. And to realize that when we communicate, 93% of what we communicate is through our body language and our tone. And only 7% is through our words. And, and what happens with a husband and wife is if you, if you look at the research, uh, and, and you know, PW, I'm a man of faith, and, we are, and we're going to talk more about that even as we continue these podcasts. But this research lines up with what the Bible says. And, and the research shows that the vast majority of men prefer to be respected, and the vast majority of women prefer to be loved. And so what happens in a marriage is we try to respect our wives when they want to be loved, and they try to love us when we want to be respected. And so we, we don't ever, I, w- I don't want to say ever, but no one taught me the difference. I didn't know the difference in those two. So I didn't know how to do my marriage in a way that showed her how much I loved her. And so what I learned over time is if I could communicate to her how much I loved her, that the vast majority of that communication was making her feel secure. It was in her security. And, you know, and for men, you know, the thing that makes us feel respected is I would say to wives, I'd say to men, do whatever it takes for your wife to feel secure. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Now, for men, the things that makes us feel respected is believing that we're a good husband, believing that we're a good father, believing that we're appreciated for provision. And, of course, we have lust issues. You know, having sex anytime we want always helps. I mean, let's just be, let's be honest about it, okay? Well, what happens in a marriage when, when men hear the word security, we think money. Why? Because we feel respected when our wives are saying, thank you for providing. Uh, when they say you're a great husband, you're a great dad, our respect level goes through the roof. But when we hear security, we think money. When they hear security, what they mean, once the basic needs are met, you, you know, the, the, the basic food and housing needs, once they're met, what they mean is, I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what comes our way, you're always going to be here. 
And when I learned that, everything in our marriage changed because my whole focus became to be sure that no matter what happened, Sandra knew that what I've done before, it ain't going to happen again. In other words, uh, I remember one day I looked at her uh, and, and I said, I said, honey, you're, you're getting more beautiful every day. I said, and I can imagine one day we're going to be 95 years old. And we're going to be sitting back on the porch in rocking chairs because we probably can't rock the casbah anymore, but we can rock together. And I said, I'm looking forward to the day of looking in your eyes, knowing that with maybe kids and maybe great-grandkids that we finish strong together. And so what happens is the security, and that's not a game. I mean, I mean that. But what happens to her security level, knowing that I'm going to be there? And now I have men that ask me. They'll read what she posts on Facebook, and they'll say, I would kill if my wife said some of those things to me. I said, well, when you start making her feel loved and she feels secure, I got news for you. You'll start hearing those things from her, that you're a good husband. You're a good father. Thank you for providing. You'll get to hear them, but someone has to go first. And so either the wife, I would say to Rachel, you know, let him know those times that he's a good husband. Let him know that you appreciate what he brings to the table. And I would say to him, be sure she knows that no matter what comes your way, you will always be with her. And if you start your marriage off right there, all of a sudden a marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. And when you, when you commit from the front end that divorce is never an option, and you have that love, and you have that respect, and that security in one another, marriage can be good right from the beginning. I'm not sure why I was never told that before I walk down the aisle. Ford, you said contract and covenant. I wrote that down because uh, one of the, maybe the most impactful tools in the transformational leadership is the social covenant. And the first time I went through transformational leadership, I, I Googled the word covenant because it struck me funny because I always figured covenant was a churchy word, and we were going through plain glass business training. Why would it, why would a guy sit, do a social covenant? Why wouldn't it be a social contract or be a social promise? Or why, why wouldn't that word be more mainstream? Okay. And, and again, as we do our training, we tell people if, it, if covenant's too hard for you, if it's too big of a commitment for you, then go with contract. Go with promise. Uh, from my perspective, covenants aren't broken. Contracts you can hire a lawyer and get out of. A promise you can tell a lie. But the reason I use that term is that I tell people that in that tool, even if you don't treat me this way, I'm going to treat you this way no matter what. I'm going to treat you with respect. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to affirm you. I'm going to honor you. Even I'm not going to gossip about you. In other words, I'm going to do that for you whether you do that for me or not. And if I do make a mistake, I'm asking you to come to me and, and tell me in humility, pre-forgiveness, love, and truth that I made a mistake. And I'm committing that if I made a mistake that broke the agreement that I made to you, that I'm willing to do the six-step apology. And it's amazing when you do that with your spouse. You know, when we say, you're right, honey, I did that, and I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I give you permission to hold me accountable. Is there anything else owe you an apology for? What do you think happens to her security? 
when you say I was wrong, I did that. I'm the one that made that mistake. Her security level goes up. Sure. She feels loved, and she starts showing you respect. You know, covenant. Uh, also, remember you saying that a covenant flows from the heart, where contracts, as you stated, are really written to be broken. So, saying the word covenant, it, I think, would be a great word for couples that have been married, are married, are looking to reset. Maybe they're in year twenty, or they're in that seven-year itch, or whatever. To to really set down, and I think the key with the covenant is to put it in writing and design it together. Can we talk about that a little bit? I mean, I don't meet a lot of couples or families that really have that, I don't want to call it a social covenant, would be more of a family covenant in place. But when it's in writing, something something happens when you put it, you know, pen to paper. Yeah. It's it's fun. You know, I love to go into people's homes who's been through our training and there's their covenant hanging on the wall. And it's so cute because uh, we ask the question, how are we going to treat one another? And if we break that, how we treat, how are we going to deal with it? That's the two questions we ask. And it's fun to go in. They'll have little kids, and they'll have their seven, eight-year-old kids at dinner uh, teaching me the covenant. The last time they had the six-step, it'll say up there, like, I promise not to kick my sister. I promise not to pinch my brother. But, but I mean, you know, it's, it's they're yeah. six, seven, eight years old. That's yeah. the kind of things that they would commit to. And then they'll share the last time they had to do the six-step apology with their sibling. Well, when children are taught this at that young of an age, guess what? They start walking that out in all of their relationships. And so they're learning very, very young something that we might not have learned, how to get that from the head to the heart to where it really is who they be. So, yeah, you could hang that on your wall in your home or, you know, your business or sports team. But, yeah, today we're talking about marriage. So as we talk about marriage you describe the power of communication, the importance of communication. We touched on the covenant a little bit for the response. And what I'm seeing in the younger people, and let me just back up, what I'm seeing in most people is they don't have the ability to respond in a way that allows them to love, influence, and transform. You know, there's something to be said about pressing pause yeah. and getting your mind right before you just blurt. Yeah. But now more than ever, mm. in the time we're in, 2020, it's the fall season. We know what's coming up. Uh, I know we're talking about marriage, so let's stay on marriage. <laughs> Maybe I got off track there a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Uh, but responding with love yeah. in a relationship, so important. Yeah. So one of the commitments I make, PW, is I'm, I'm obviously none of us are perfect and I'm far from it. So I know I'm going to make mistakes. But one of my thought processes is that if Sandra and I have a tense moment, that my goal is within five minutes. We're past it. Okay. And if, and if I really can get past a tense moment in five minutes, guess what our marriage is like? Uh, you know, when I, I've done three weddings and one was my daughter. One was another one that was like a daughter to me, and another one was like a son. And in all three weddings, and we talked about the covenant, uh, I make all of those, and I tell them before, if you want me to do the wedding, here's what you'll get drugged through. I make them get so transparent. They have to share stuff that a lot of couples never share. Why? Because we all bring baggage into the marriage. You have to share problems that you have with mom, problems that you have with dad. 
Now, my daughter had to share with her fiance, with me in the room, problems she had with me, problems she had with her mom, okay? Because they got to they get past that. But we talk about covenant, and, and it's so much of, of my belief system that PW, when, when, when I do the weddings myself, you know how people light the candles? They go up, and she has a candle, he has a candle, and they light it together. I don't do candles. I do salt. And I'll bring up the parents, and I'll bring up the bride and the groom, and I'll pour salt in each of their hands. And then I go around, and I ask them each to put their salt into a big bowl. And then I go back around, and I ask them each to take their salt back out of the bowl. Well, clearly, you can't do that. And I say, guys, this is what covenant is. Once you put your salt into the bowl, you can't pull your salt back out. And that's the difference in a contract, in a covenant. Because when you make that commitment that cannot, and you decide not to waver from it, if you make that decision on the front end, I will not waver from this commitment, then you're going to hold yourself accountable. You see, my wife made that commitment. In reality is I didn't. I thought I did, but I didn't. But when I broke her heart, and went to her and apologized for what I had done, knowing in my head she was going to leave me. I knew in my head our marriage is over because of what I've done. And when I asked her that even if you leave me, and I know you're going to, one day I hope you can forgive me. And P.W., she looked at me because she understood covenant. And she said to me, why would I leave you? I love you more than anything. We will get through this. That's what covenant is. And because of that, now we're able to help couples and marriages around the world because she understood covenant. She understood love. She understood forgiveness at a level that at that time I didn't understand. Ford, as you work with couples, and and let's just stay on the newlywed or a young couple or a new couple, you don't have to be young to be a new couple, right? Right. Um, the, The listening and responding piece as we wrap, uh, what specific tools around those subjects uh, are you able to share with our listeners? Well, we've already shared the tool of 93%. 55% of our communication is our body language, 38% is our tone, and 7% is our words. So be real careful with our tone and our body language, our facial expression. Make that a, a focus for a new couple. Uh, another one is, you know, we've, we've talked in the past about the slower listening model. And that S stands for uh, be silent, okay? And it also stands for square up. In other words, when your spouse is talking, turn and look to them. And like you said a few minutes ago, PW, when they give you feedback, when they say something, it isn't necessary to do a knee-jerk response. Be silent for a moment. Absorb what they have to say. Then do the L. Lean in. Lean into the conversation. Show that you care more about them than you do yourself by leaning in and hearing the conversation. And then that O stands for have that open posture. Let them see in your body language. And if you don't understand, ask an open-ended question. And then the, the W is be willing to be engaged in the conversation and try to maintain eye contact. You know, when you're looking at each other, that's the E and the slower. Look at them. Don't be looking around the room because that shows you're not interested. And that R in the slower Relax. Repeat if necessary. Repeat back what you heard if you're not sure and respond. So relax, respond, and repeat if necessary. And so in a marriage, 
if we truly could use that model when we're talking, uh, conversations actually go much faster because we don't get into an argument because we knee-jerked out of our feeling of disrespected or their feeling of not feeling loved. And so when that happens, I think those tools are invaluable in a marriage. Yeah, I think we'd be doing our listeners a disservice if this was all daisies and butterflies and rainbows and sunshine. Uh, you've got involved in some situations where they had already kind of divorced in their brains. Like they said, Ford, this is over. I don't know if this is going to help us. I didn't really agree to sit down. He made me or she made me. But there's always hope, right? There's always that, that 1%. Uh, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm gonna, I'll give you a quick story, okay? Uh, a lady called me one time, and she said, um, I cheated on my husband, and he's going to divorce me, and I'm trying to get him to go to marriage counseling, but he won't go. He's told me our marriage is over. And she said, you may be the only person in the world that I know that I might be able to get him to talk. If I can get him to come, would you meet with us? And I said, yes. And he actually said to her, he's the one guy in the world I'll talk to. So they come over, we're in our basement, and of course, you know, I use the Waddle model, you know, do a welcome, do some affirmations, ask questions. <laughs> so I just looked at him and said, hey, before we get started, uh, let's, let's do an affirmation, okay? I said, I want you to look at her and tell her something that you fell in love with about her, and I want you to tell him what you fell in love with, okay? And I said, but before we do that, share something good going on. I'm going to let you think about what you fell in love with, share something good going on. Here was his good news. You ready? She cheated on me. Our marriage is over. We will never oh be together. God. That's my good news. I said, okay, good. And I looked at her and I said, what's your good news? And she shared some. I said, okay, now look at each other and share one thing you fell in love with. And when they did that, you could see the heart soften just a little. I won't go through the whole detail, but three hours later, this is not an exaggeration. They were all over each other so much with a commitment to save their marriage, I literally went upstairs and said, hey, if you want to stay down here in the extra bedroom, feel free to, and I'll be upstairs when you're ready. And, but the thing is, they came in with no hope. But when they started understanding how her security was shot, in other words, what he had done, what she had done, and how this was going to impact their children, all of a sudden they went, hang on. We got to step back. So in three hours, he went from good news, this will never happen, to not being able to keep his hands off his wife and being able to say, we're going to give this a shot. Great stuff, Ford. Marriage, nothing better in my life, 33 years and two weeks. Great information. Thanks for sharing it. We could do several episodes on this, but kind of like crossing the river on the bridge, yeah. there's love and influence and transformation on the other side yeah there is and and you know one of the things is we talk about this particular subject on love i would counsel every marriage to read the book the five love languages and learn what are your love languages what are your spouse's love languages you can almost guarantee they're not going to be the same because you, typically we marry people to fill something that we don't have and learn to speak your spouse's love language and that's hard. That's not easy. But learn to do it. Why? Because that's proving to them that I love you more than I love me. You know, I, I joke with people that, uh, you know, people that call me friend. And then I'll say, well, when you meet Sandra, 
you'll love her more than you love me. I promise you. I mean, it's just everybody. It's true. It's true. Everybody loves Sandra. <laughs> and then I tell them, you know, about a little over 20 years ago, I figured out the same thing. I learned how to love Sandra more than I love me too. And when that happened, our marriage changed. But I would encourage, learn those love languages. Why? Because at that level of love, making her feel secure, making him feel respected, one of them is speaking their love language. And what happens when you do that? Your influence, even with your spouse, it goes up. And what happens? Your children look at that marriage, and now you're role modeling for your children what that kind of marriage looks like. And now not only have you taken influence over your own life, you have influence with your spouse and with your children. And then what happens? The whole family gets changed. But someone has to go first. And so we call that love, influence, transform. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ford Taylor Talks. For more information and resources to help you love, influence, and transform, please visit FordTaylorTalks.com. Thank you.